Good morning, Joe. How are you doing? Awesome. I'm doing just great. How about yourself? I am doing wonderful for a, a dark and early morning here in Arizona. It's good. You haven't broken out the jackets yet, have you? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I, I, that, that will happen, but, uh, not for a while. Starting to cool down in Jersey. We went from uh, 99, two weeks ago, and I think we're going to have a high of 71 today. So oh, there you it's, go. It's cool, cooling down quickly, by the way, um, you know, I, I forgot to mention this. Do you know what happens next Tuesday? What next Tuesday is an, is a recurring annual event. Really? Happens, it actually happens twice a year. And, and one of those two times will be next Tuesday. I don't know what that is. Well, twice a year, you know, we all know that in the summer, the days get longer and the nights get shorter. In the winter, the nights get longer and the days get shorter. Right. But twice a year, there comes a time when the number of daylight hours and nighttime hours are exactly equal. Ah. And those are referred to as equinoxes. And next Tuesday, September 22nd, will be what's referred to as the autumnal equinox, when the number of daylight hours exactly equals the uh, nighttime hours. And it happens again in the spring, and then the spring that's referred to as the vernal equinox. So September 22nd is the autumnal equinox where we have the same number of daylight hours as nighttime hours. So there's there's a little factoid for the day. That's awesome. All right. Anyway, uh, for those who haven't heard the show before, um, this is uh, Jersey Joe News and Perspective you won't hear on TV. And, and what do I mean by perspective? Well, on the evening news, you might hear a story that I'm going to talk about, uh, but you won't hear what Paul Harvey used to refer to as the rest of the story. You might hear a story where, you know, so-and-so, you know, politicians voted against the Save the Baby Seals Act, but they'll never tell you why they voted against the Save the Baby Seals Act. It's not because they don't like baby seals. It's because of other nonsense that was in the bill. Uh, so that's when I talk about perspective, I'm going to talk about uh stories you might hear on tv but some as paul harvey used to say the rest of the story why did that happen or why was somebody prosecuted or not prosecuted um today i'm gonna uh, my quote of the day will be from uh, thomas Sowell, and we'll talk about him in a little bit um political humor Haas, do you know the difference between um the political satire do you know the difference between titanic and california uh, actually i do now, we've all heard this week about <laughs> California rolling blackouts, right, and turning yeah. the thermostats up, and even then there. Well, the only difference with all the, the power outages, the, the difference between the Titanic and California is at least Titanic had the lights on when it sank. So. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, on today's science segment, I'll, t I'll explain why achieving a fossil fuel uh free economy in our lifetime is not possible without a massive investment um in the number of nuclear power plants in this country i'll talk about the five universal laws of stupidity i'll talk about a legal conundrum which were uh, which is a result of a woman being arrested after she volunteered her dna for a rape kit i'll talk about amtrak canceling their train their trains and the impact that's going to have on our uh economy about visa deciding to track purchases you you make at a gun store and the, the looming beer shortage and today's taxpayer relief shot about a 17 year old uh teenager home with his younger siblings 11 30 at night four masked men armed and masked attempt to break into his home at, at 11 30 at night 
and how he defended his family. That's our good guy with the gun, gun story. Well, wow. good. Right. Anyway, so let's go back. Let's start off with our quote of the day. Uh, Haas, do you know who Thomas Sowell is? Uh, I do. He is a uh, very well-known economist, among other things. Yep. And a professor, author, number of enormous books. He also happens to be an African-American man. And I thought his one of his quotes was uh, very relevant to some of the uh, incredibly stupid things we're doing today, at least our politicians want to do. And, and here's his quote that I thought was relevant. And that quote is, virtually every stupid idea in vogue today was thought of by somebody in the past, and it has led to disaster again and again. That is why it is dangerous to neglect the study of history so that we have to keep on learning what is wrong with clever ideas the hard way. So again, he's saying if we don't study history, we're not aware of what's been tried and failed in the past. Repeating it is learning it the hard way. It's much easier to study history. That's the easy way uh, as opposed to the hard way. All right. Um, let me move on to the five uh, universal laws of stupidity. A uh, behavioral psychologist wrote this actually a couple years ago, but he, he reduced stupid activities uh, to five universal laws. It doesn't matter what country, what city, what language you speak. Uh, these are universal. Law number one, always and inevitably, everyone underestimates the number of stupid individuals in circulation in the population. <laughs> <laughs> Just when you think you knew what percentage of the population was really stupid, no, yeah, you, you've underestimated. <laughs> uh, law number two, this is interesting. The probability that a certain person is stupid is independent of any other characteristic of that person. Example, even when a, per a person is a college professor with a PhD, they can still be a stupid person. I don't know if you've ever <laughs> encountered or listened to anybody with a doctorate or something spouting off just absolute nonsense. Absolutely. So just because you have a PhD doesn't mean you're not a stupid person. Uh, law number three, a stupid person is a person who causes losses to another person or to a group of people uh while deriving no gain for himself or even possibly incurring losses. And there's a neat little matrix that talks about uh, whether your behavior or action will be beneficial to you and detrimental to others or, or detrimental to, to others and detrimental to you. So, you know, truly stupid people do things that are not only detrimental to others, they're detrimental to themselves. Like they'll, they'll vote for something which hurts everybody else, including themselves. Right. People who do things that are beneficial to themselves or detrimental to others are referred to as bandits or criminals. If somebody comes in and, and you know, you're at work and they come in and steal your stuff, well, that action was beneficial to them but detrimental to you. So he refers to them as bandits. Mm. Um, intelligent people do things that are benefit, beneficial to both themselves and you or at least beneficial to them and don't cause any harm to anybody else. So it's a neat little matrix that talks about, you know, who benefits and who gets hurt. Um, law number four, non-stupid people always underestimate the damaging power of stupid individuals. In particular, non-stupid people constantly forget that at all times and places and under any circumstances to deal with or associate with stupid people always turns out to be a costly mistake. <laughs> 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 don't waste your time trying to deal with stupid people. It's going to be, you know, remember the old thing, don't try to, you shouldn't try to teach a pig to sing. 
because it, it it's a waste of your time and annoys the pig. Right. There you go. Same thing with dealing with stupid <laughs> people. It's just uh, law number five. You know, we talked just a, a minute ago about, you know, bandits who do things that are good for themselves, but bad for you. Mm -hmm. Here's law number five. A stupid person is the most dangerous type of person. And it's corollary. A stupid person is more dangerous than a bandit because not only will they do things that that uh, that are damaging to themselves, they'll do things that are damaging to others. And when you think about it, that's that's pretty correct. So, you know, at least the bandit, hey, you know, you you know what a bandit's a bad guy. You can take precautions. You can have a home security system, but it's, you can't protect yourself against a stupid person. No. Whether it be whether it be one on one or whether it be you know something they're proposing or voting for. So uh, I thought that was a kind of a neat summary of of stupid people. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So moving on to. Let's talk about uh, the woman in San Francisco. Uh, she was unfortunately the, the victim of a rape, and she and she went to the hospital. And they said, you know, can we take a rape kit, you know, to maybe you know identify your attacker? So she voluntarily uh, agreed to submit a you know a rape kit sample. And in the lab, of course, you know, the, there's multiple DNAs. There's the attacker's DNA, and there, there's a woman's DNA. So. The lab did the test and said, yes, we have DNA from, you know, from one donor and that's over here. It's a male. And, oh, we have the woman's DNA because that was part of the mixed sample. Well, that went into a police database and the police just when they're looking at it, the computer popped up match and it was a match to a five year old burglary. <laughs> and and it wasn't from the male sperm donor. It was from the woman. It was her DNA. Oh, and then they proceeded to arrest the woman. For the five-year-old burglary so wow. you know the legal conundrum it's a very interesting question she voluntarily uh, donated her dna and then the police without a search warrant didn't you know just happen to match her dna to a five-year-old burglary case so the so the legal interesting legal question is did the police need a warrant to to access that dna that was voluntarily given by the woman uh it's gonna i'm sure it's gonna work its way up through the courts but it's, what do you think, Hush? Should the police have been free to, to to match that DNA or not? It's a good question, and I think it will end up in the courts. My guess is the courts will rule that the police uh, were in error. And I think so. And maybe in the future, you know, hospitals, you know, when they give the consent form, you know, obviously the, the easiest way to deal with this until that decision is reached would be for hospitals when they give the consent form is to have a uh, a disclaimer for the person giving it saying i do not consent for my dna to be used for you know for any other purpose uh, right. than the rape so uh, i think that would be uh, the wise move on the part of the hospitals yeah um Hoss, do you drink beer boy i'll tell you every chance i get <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard about the looming beer shortage we might be encouraging here in a in a little while? Oh, Joe, say say it ain't so. No, no yep. beer shortage. And um, what's yes? Uh, there's uh, if you do a little research on on uh, beer shortages, Google the words beer shortage and CO two. As we all know, CO two is the thing that puts the bubbles in your beer, makes the foam. Yeah. And most beer makers add CO two to their their beer products just the way you know coke and pepsi add co2 to their their beverages 
And because of a, uh, a problem with one of the, the plants, there was only, I think, three plants in the U.S. that were manufacturing CO2, which is a greenhouse gas, by the way. So every time you open a can of beer, you're polluting the environment by releasing <laughs> CO2. Um, but there's been, uh, uh, there is a shortage, currently a shortage of CO2. A couple of breweries in Boston have had to cease production because they couldn't get enough CO2 to add to their beer. Oh. And um, by the way, football season, um, believe it or not, people would think that the summer is the best, is the highest beer consumption. No, believe it or not, the fall when people are inside watching sports yep. is when I beer consumption it. goes up. So um, my, my suggestion, Hoss, if you're a beer drinker, stock up now. <laughs> Absolutely. Holy cow. That That's bad news, Joe. Right. <laughs> and, and even if you can still find it, when anything goes into shortage, the price goes up. So Absolutely. if beer goes in short supply... The price is not going to come down. The price is going to go up. So yeah. first thing you'll have is the CO2 manufacturers raising the price of the CO2. And, of course, that will get built into the price of your next six-pack. So wow. um, make make sure to do that. Um, did you hear this morning that there was apparently a settlement in the um, in the rare, in the pending, the looming railroad worker strike? No. It was on the news. I, I don't know if you heard about it, but over the past couple of days, they were, everybody was fearful that the railroad workers contract had expired and there was a fear that there would be a strike that would happen um, this Friday. And if so, you know, it would be, uh, you know, all of the container shipments and coal shipments across the country would come to a grinding halt and talk about supply chain. Have you ever seen one of these chains that is uh, trains that are stacked double decker high with the uh, shipping containers? Absolutely. Um, you know, that's how all that's, by the way, the way transportation works in the U S as goods from overseas come into our ports, at the ports they get loaded, those shipping containers get loaded onto trains. And then, uh, so you might have, and those trains go to distribution hubs. So for instance, you might have a shipment from China of stuff for Walmart uh, go to a distribution hub in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And then in Nashville, Tennessee, there's these big mobile cranes that pick those containers up off the train and drop them onto flatbed tractor trailers and those flatbed tractor trailers, I'm going to, it's referred to as the last mile. Now, the last mile could be 50 miles, but it's, it goes from L.A. to, to Nashville on a train and then from Nashville uh, to the Walmart in Shelbyville, Tennessee, on the back of a tractor trailer. And had that strike taken place, it would have just crippled um, uh, delivery of goods around the country. Anyway. Um, Monday, Amtrak, in anticipation of the rail of the railroad workers' cancellation, without those, they couldn't run their trains. So they announced they were canceling uh, a bunch of uh, cross-country trips out of San Francisco, out of Chicago, to the West Coast. And um, you know, I looked at this. Oh my God, those 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 dozen people who wanted to go from from Chicago to uh, to Los Angeles. What a huge inconvenience! Hoss, do you know how long it takes to to go from Chicago to uh, L.A. via Amtrak on one of their, quote, high-speed rail lines? Boy, I have no idea. The best, most fastest premium route is 45 hours. That's just three hours shy of two full days on a train. Wow. Um, and that, by the way, costs like 180 bucks. Now, if, you're, if you don't want to... Uh, spring for the premium one and you're willing to take one that uh, makes a few more stops you can do that for 140 dollars 
which saves you 40 bucks, but it's going to cost you 65 hours, almost three mm. days, because three days is 72 hours. Yeah. Um, so my question is, I don't know if you know this, but Amtrak for the past several decades loses several billions of dollars per year. Didn't, didn't know if you knew that or not. Yeah, I, I, I did. Um, so, and I did a little checking. So one way Chicago to LA on Amtrak, in addition to being a two day trip, um, and it costing 180 bucks, you know what it costs to fly from Chicago to LA? I would think if it's not less, it's very similar. How about 69, 69, $69. Is that right? Oh my gosh. $69. Go to Travelocity. Just put in Chicago to LA, direct nonstop, four hours and 30 minutes. So the question is, why is Amtrak even running trains from Chicago to L.A.? I mean, who in their right mind would spend $180 and two days to go Chicago to L.A. when you can do it in four hours nonstop for $69? Yeah. Um, you know, this gets into, into government uh, and using taxpayer money, which it's a huge money loser. No private enterprise in their right mind would, would even keep that business keep that enterprise in business they, they would have shut it down decades ago um so that's that's where we are with the railroad workers strike um taxpayer relief you know i apologize i forgot to bring up but i will bring up right now uh for those that are not familiar uh the taxpayer relief shot uh is basically a story where a private citizen has uh, legally used a gun to um, to shoot and kill a bad guy. You know, it's called referred to as a good guy with a gun, and um, thereby saving the taxpayers' money. And what do I mean by saving the taxpayers' money? Well, when you shoot and kill the bad guy, uh, you save the taxpayers the cost of a jury trial. And of course, most criminals get a court-appointed public defender who's probably charging the court $400 an hour. Uh, there might be several appeals. And then if you imprison him, you're talking about, oh, 60 to $85,000 a year to keep him in jail. And then if he's released on probation, you've got the expense of a, uh, of a uh, probation because you have to have probationary supervision. But um, I, I think I'd like to let the sheriff of Santa, Santa Rosa County, Florida, explain his view on taxpayer leave shots. Here we go somebody's breaking in your house you're more than welcome to shoot them in santa rosa county we prefer that you do actually hopefully you'll save taxpayers money and also i'm going to play that one more time because i i just love this clip from the sheriff somebody's breaking in your house you're more than welcome to shoot them in santa rosa county we prefer that you do actually hopefully you'll save taxpayers money Huss, what do you think of the sheriff you agree with him i like that guy i really do but i'm sure he caught all kinds of flack for saying that and I, but I bet you he gets reelected. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, absolutely. He should. I have no doubt. Anyway, so I'm going to play this story. It, it starts right off again. This is about a 17-year-old kid in Texas uh, who defended his family and his younger siblings. Here we go. Let's bring this up. A shotgun and took a deadly turn. A 17-year-old grabbed a shotgun and killed two of the suspects before they could get inside. Only on 13 tonight, ABC 13's Brooke Taylor got surveillance footage and is live tonight at the sheriff's office with this new information. Brooke? Tom, deputies say that 17-year-old was home with family members at the time, including a 12-year-old when those suspects tried to bust into their home. 
this entire ordeal lasting just two minutes in the video you are about to see. Neighbors I spoke to, though, say they are not too concerned because they believe this was targeted. The moments before a deadly attempted home invasion caught on camera only on 13. Four suspects who deputies say were armed and wearing masks are seen getting out of the car before 11 Friday night. Deputies say they tried to force their way into a home next door on First Street in Channel View, but they were met with a 17-year-old with a shotgun. That teen shot two of the suspects before they even made it inside, according to the sheriff's office. A neighbor showing us the bullet holes which riddled the side of his home and car. We counted at least nine. Surveillance footage then shows two of the suspects run back to the getaway car only two minutes after arriving. Deputies found the other two men shot to death on the lawn along the side of the house. The case will now be presented to a grand jury. Brooke Taylor, ABC 13 Eyewitness News. So, Haas, what do you think of that one? Well, I kudos to the young man with the shotgun. Um, not knowing what the laws are in his state, he, I would think, could still have some problems, some legal problems, um, because the... Uh, he shot him outside his house rather than inside. Well, so the castle doctrine wouldn't apply. But again, the law, and of course, this is Texas, the law in almost every state is that uh, you can use deadly force if you have, and this is a quote, a reasonable belief uh, of a reasonable belief of fear of death or bodily injury, which is why even if somebody points a plastic gun at you and you shoot and kill them, the fact that you didn't know it was a plastic gun, you had a reasonable belief. So if four guys in ski masks and guns are trying to break their in the way in the house, you certainly have a reasonable belief or fear of death or bodily injury. Uh, I so agree with that. Yeah. So that's what he did. Um, and we're just in, so again, oh, I always get a kick, by the way, on these things where there's two guys or four guys and, and one or two of them winds up dead and the others others carry off. So, you know, uh, I've never seen one yet where the dead, where the uh, the dead guy's buddy stuck around and tried to rescue or you know right. twice <laughs> it's right. always oh my buddy's dead time for me to get the hell out of here <laughs> yeah <laughs> it never i never once have i seen where the where the thug says stop i want to try to you know cpr i want to try to tend to my butt no they always yeah. just flee and leave their dead buddy behind not yep. like the marines where no, no good man left behind that's so, exactly what i was thinking yeah all right uh you know i skipped over and we only got a few minutes i'll try to squeeze this in uh, in the few minutes we have you know, you hear Biden talk about, you know, uh, he's going to quote one of his campaign promises, which he did many, many times, is that we're going to end fossil fuels in this country. Right. And again, you heard California is going to outlaw the sale of internal combustion engines. And But let's talk about what ending fossil fuels in this country means. Um, Haas, do you have any idea of the total energy that's consumed in this country? When I talk about energy, I'm not talking about electricity. I'm talking about the gas that goes in your car. I'm talking about the the natural gas that's used to heat your homes and, and businesses. When you go to Walmart in the wintertime, it may not in Arizona, but when you go to Walmart in Minnesota in the wintertime, that store is being heated by big uh, rooftop mounted uh, furnace units that are heating that store with natural gas. When you buy a loaf of bread or a dozen hot dog rolls, that bread was baked with natural gas. Um, if you're what kind of in your house, do you have gas hot water or, or electric hot water heater? All electric. All electric, when you're probably paying out the nose for it. But in oh, the yeah. vast majority of homes in this country, you have a gas furnace, yeah. and you have a gas hot water heater. 
So when we talked about going to a fossil fuel free economy or quote ending fossil fuels, that means in addition to the 42% of the things in this country that are currently run with electricity, if you take every car on the road, every home furnace, every business rooftop heating unit, every gas oven, gas stove, gas range, industrial furnace in this country, 58% of, of that power is currently coming from fossil fuels. Wow. Now, here's another interesting thing. Have you ever heard the term line losses? Yes. Uh, and what that means is that when electricity is produced at a power plant, only 55% of it actually makes it to the wall socket in your house. Yeah. Uh, the other 45% is lost as heat because when you send electricity through wires or through a substation, or even that little that transformer on the pole outside your house. And by the way, and that pole transformer typically serves three or four homes. If you were to take an infrared picture, the wires are warm, the transformer's warm. It's called line losses because when you move electricity through wires, you generate heat as a byproduct. So that's why the transmission of electricity is not terribly efficient because 45% of that power never makes it to your wall outlet. As opposed to a gas furnace, gas furnaces these days. Uh, even the cheap ones are better than 90% efficient. Wow. So if I have a gas furnace in my house, which I do, uh, I'm burning gas at point of use. I'm getting, I'm extracting more than 90% of the energy out of that natural gas and I'm converting it directly into heat. If I have to replace my gas furnace with an electric furnace, first of all, only 55% of the energy that's produced is going to make it to my furnace. So there's 45% lost energy mm -hmm. along the way. So, and, and by the way, all of this data comes from the U.S. Energy Information Administration. This is not a Fox News thing. So first of all, we would have to more than double our electric production. We cannot do that with wind and solar because we don't have the energy storage take capability. Have you ever seen a day uh, or a period of time, Haas, when the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing? Mm, yeah, that happens uh, quite often. Quite often. And if you live in a place like Syracuse, where I used to live, we would get two or three days in a row of just kind of a calm, continuous, either a drizzle or a snow. There's no wind. There's no sun. Right. And the snow is building up. And by the way, if you've got solar panels and it's snowing, your solar panels not only are worthless on the day of the snowstorm, they're going to be worthless for a day or two afterwards until the snow melts off. Yeah. So um, we would have to more than double our electric uh, energy uh, uh, generation capability. But here's another problem. You know that the more electricity you want to transmit, the bigger the wires have to be, right? Okay. And you know what a substation is, right? You've ever seen one yep. in your neighborhood, you drive by and they get a big cyclone fence around them. Right. So when they transmit electricity, they transmit it at high voltage, maybe 300,000 volts, which you'll, you can't bring into a house or a business. It'll, it's, it'll kill everybody. So you have to step it down at a, at a neighborhood substation. And all those transformers are all warm, by the way. But they are sized to handle the amount of electric current that that neighborhood needs. And then in turn, they transmit that power to your neighborhood at a higher voltage, typically like 460 volts. And then there's a transformer on the telephone pole outside your house that reduces it down to like once again to 220 volts. Uh, well, guess what? The the size of that substation, the wires coming up your street, the 
pole, the transformer on the pole outside your house and the circuit, circuit breaker panel in your basement, none of them are sized to handle a 200% increase in the amount of electrical power that would have to occur if we eliminated fossil fuels. Mm. Um, again, if, if I have to replace my two internal combustion engine cars with electric cars, I have to replace my gas furnace with a electric furnace. If I have to replace my gas water heater with an electric uh, water heater, if my nearby Walmart has to go to all electric heat, we don't have the grid capacity to transmit that uh, additional electric power. So every wire, every transformer, every substation would have to be upgraded. And let's talk about where that power, you cannot create reliable, you cannot create 250% more reliable electric source uh, in terms of wind and solar, because when the wind doesn't blow and the sun isn't shining, what are we going to use for power? Well, if we don't want fossil fuel, there's only one other alternative. And by the way, people say, well, hydro, the U.S. long ago exploited every viable hydropower source in this country. There are no more big rivers uh, to be dammed up uh, to give you more hydropower. They're, they just aren't there. So the only alternative is nuclear. Uh, so unless we want to start building nuclear power plants like crazy, you know, over the next two decades. The dream of a fossil fuel free economy in your lifetime, in my lifetime, is not going to happen. Uh, any thoughts or, or do you think I'm just peddling BS these days? No, I don't think you're peddling that at all. In fact, you know, you talked a couple of weeks ago about um, Hoover Dam. Mm -hmm. And how uh, the water level is going down, and we're about ready to lose the that capability of producing power. And uh, so, yeah, it's it, it's looking kind of grim out there. It really is. Right. And again, and there's tremendous opposition to nuclear. So it's kind of pick your poison. I mean, uh, and by the way, and even if you went to solar, solar would have to have the wind and solar would have to be able to generate two to three times the normal demand um, to get you through those uh, periods when there's no, like, again, you take a three-day rainstorm or a three-day yeah. snowstorm, uh, you have to generate two or three times your average daily demand to store up to get you through those periods. But and here's the other issue. We do not have the energy storage capability. You know how big of a battery you would need to power the, the city the size of Phoenix oh, for yeah. two days? Yeah. Be about crazy. the size of an aircraft carrier. Sure. Uh, so, you know, we don't have that battery. By the way, I don't even think we have enough raw material. And that would have to be in every, you would need an aircraft carrier size battery uh, near every mid, you know, Midland, Texas, uh, uh, Fort Worth, uh, Denver. You'd need a battery, a battleship, excuse me, a aircraft carrier size battery just to carry them through those two day periods when there's no sun and no wind. So uh, I'm skeptical, and unless this country is willing to embrace nuclear, uh, we will never get, in my opinion, to a fossil-free, free, uh, fossil-free, um, fuel-free economy. Yeah. Awesome. Unless you had any questions for me, I'm about done with today. I didn't want to overrun our 30-minute time too much. No, you did good. Uh, good information. I appreciate your time and uh, the research that you put into this. It uh, it makes for a good show. All right. Well, then I want to kind of wrap up and I want to thank all of you who listen to this podcast for, for giving up about 30 minutes of your busy day to listen to me ramble on about things that I find of interest and importance. And I hope you found those topics as interesting and important as I did. And if so, I hope you continue to listen to this podcast in the weeks and months to come. Uh, 
If you want to see some of the materials and story links you heard me talk about today, you can find them either on the K-Heat uh, K Rate Show page or the Jersey Joe Show uh, on my website at jerseyjoe.com, with Jersey being spelled Jersey, uh, J-E-R-Z-E. Haas, would you point to Jersey Joe? If I can remember which hand. There <laughs> right it is, there. right there. So it's jerseyjoe.com, no space, by the way, jerseyjoe.com. And you'll find uh, I typically will put up links to some of the things like the study I talked about on the five laws of stupidity. And and uh, there's an essay I wrote about uh, why fossil fuel economy is not possible. And if you want to email me with a comment, complaint, question or suggested or suggested show topic, you can do that just by sending me an email to joe at jerseyjoe.com. And just again, just remember to spell Jersey Joe with a Z double E. Haas, that's all I got for today. Anything else? No, I think we are good, and uh, thank you again, and we will see you next week. Talk to you then, Oz. Take care. Take care. Mm -hmm.